1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, the Philistines discover that keeping the ark isn't working out so well for them, so they try to decide what to do with it. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel 5, verse 6. Once again that's 1 Samuel chapter 5
2: verse 6. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 5. The whole theme of the book of 1 Samuel is lessons from the heart. And at this point in time in 1 Samuel, things are not looking good for Israel. Their army is scattered. Their leader Eli is dead. His sons the priests are also dead. The ark has been captured, rendering worship at the tabernacle impossible. Things are probably the worst they've been for God's people since they entered the promised land. But the Lord hasn't forsaken them. In fact, he's going to use this massive defeat to remind the Philistines, not just Israel, but the Philistines who's really in charge, as well as open his people's eyes to their sin. Aren't you glad that no one can cause trouble or hardship for the Lord? There's never an event that occurs here on the earth or anywhere in the universe where anyone has to look and go, oh no, man, God's in trouble. How's he going to handle that? No one is causing trouble or hardship for the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, a very famous verse, Jeremiah says, our Lord God, behold, you have made the heaven and the earth by thy great power, and, and your stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for you. And then God responds in verse 27 of the same chapter of Jeremiah 32, and he says, Behold, I am the Lord. I am who you say I am, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? The context of this happening, of these statements, when Jeremiah says that and then God responds, the context of it is because the Lord tells Jeremiah, he says, Jeremiah, I want you to go buy some land. Now, why would that be a big deal? Well, Nebuchadnezzar was about to lay siege to Jerusalem and about to destroy it. And God had told Jeremiah this. God knew that Jerusalem was going to be leveled to the ground, that the temple was going to be destroyed, and all the Judeans were going to be taken captive to Babylon, most of them at least. And so the Lord, in knowing this is coming, the Lord says to him, I want you to go buy some land and pass it down to your descendants. And Jeremiah is thinking, why would I buy land that I'm not going to be able to enjoy? I mean, we're going to not even be in the land anymore. The reason that God told him to do that is because he told Jeremiah, he said, Jeremiah, even though all this is going to happen, I'm not going to leave you in Babylon. You guys are going to come back. I'm going to restore my people to their land. And I want you to prove that you trust me in this, that I can do this by going and buying this land. So Jeremiah, before he buys the land, he says, oh, Lord God, You've made the heavens and the earth by thy great power. Is anything too hard for you? Because it sounds impossible. I mean, that's not a wise investment, Jeremiah. You're throwing your money away. You might as well light it on fire. And yet, he considers when God tells him to do this. He says, well, you've made the heavens and the earth by thy great power, by thy stretched out arm. Is anything too hard for you? And throughout the conversation, they have together him and the Lord. The Lord finally says, behold, I am the Lord. The God of all flesh. Nothing is too hard for me. This thing that probably sounded crazy to everybody Jeremiah told the idea to probably seemed like the most impossible thing. But Jeremiah did it because impossible doesn't apply to the Lord. It doesn't apply to him. Because with God, all things are possible. Amen? Nothing causes trouble or hardship for the Lord. But it was for their God, the Philistines' God, Dagon. He was having a rough time of it. And yet, while the Philistines correctly recognized the Lord's involvement, they don't arrive at the correct solution. They said, He can't stay here. He clearly does not like it here. And so, verse 8 they sent, therefore, and they gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And so the Philistine rulers, they answered and they said, Well, let the ark of the God of Israel be carried about unto Gath. You know, just take it to Gath. Now, the Philistine nation was a pentapolis, had five rulers who ruled over five royal cities. I don't know how the inner workings of their government, but these five guys were the guys in charge. And so when they were consulted, they said, the people of Ashlet said, it can't stay here. What do we do? And so these five guys said, well, just take it to Gath. Now, Gath was the farthest inland of the five royal cities. And as such, it served as the staging area for any raids they made into Israel. And it was their defensive fallback if Israel ever invaded them. So this was a military place, okay? So now I don't know if they thought, well, the Lord would be happier if we move him closer to Israel. You know, here's here's a nice spot, Jehovah, in the window. You can see the hills of your homeland. I don't know if that's what they thought. Perhaps they thought a military city would keep the ark in line doesn't tell us why they thought Gath would be a good place. All I know is that whatever their reasoning, it was faulty because the Lord can't be controlled by men. And so look at what happens in verse 9. It says, and it was so that after they had carried it about to Gath, the hand of the Lord was against the city of Gath with a very great destruction. And he smote the men of the city, both small and great, and they had emrods in their secret parts." They began to break out and become sick with the same plague that had afflicted the area of Ashdod. And it didn't matter who you were, small or great in people's eyes. You were a ruler. You were a poor person. didn't matter. The Lord didn't discriminate in who he judged. The Lord never discriminates in who he judges because we are all infinitesimally small when compared to the Lord. No matter what our standing is in other people's minds. So, since Gath doesn't work out well, they thought, well, maybe a new city will work. Verse 10. Therefore, they sent the ark of God to Ekron. Now, Ekron was another of these royal cities, and the people of Ekron worshipped a god named Beelzebub. And Beelzebub was a god associated with good health. And so, they probably figured, let's send it to Ekron because he can protect us from this plague, this disease. That'll teach Israel's god. We'll send him to the place that he can't get anybody sick. Well, it came to pass, verse 10, that as the ark of God came to Ekron, that the Ekronites cried out. They did not have a lot of faith in Beelzebub. They cried out, and they said, they have brought about the ark of God of Israel to us to slay us and our people. They also did not have a whole lot of confidence in their leadership. Why they bring in the ark? They brought the ark here to kill us. And so verse 11 they sent and they gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it go again to his own place that it does not slay us and our people. And why were they saying that? For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city and the hand of God was very heavy there. So it does not go well in Ekron. Their solution is return it to his own place. The is clearly not happy anywhere we try to put him, send him back home to Israel. Because throughout the city, there was a deadly destruction. The phrase there means there was panic and turmoil because of the plague. And the hand of God was very heavy there. Not just heavy, but very heavy. In other words, every time the Philistines reacted to the Lord's judgment by trying to control him, the Lord upped the severity of the judgment every single time. And this time, the entire city came to a screeching halt, filled with the wails of the sick and the dying so the people demanded that their leaders return the ark to Israel. For it says in verse 12, the men that did not die were smitten with the emrods, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. I mean, this was bad stuff. It was rough. So they tell their leaders, you can't stay here. You've got to send it back to Israel. But how exactly are they supposed to do that? Their current solution clearly wasn't working, but what should they do? Well, chapter 6, verse 1. And the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. So all this is going on that I've read through here in these 12 verses of chapter 5. That took seven months to occur. I imagine that made it difficult for the Philistines to follow up on their victory over Israel. They couldn't push deeper into Israel. They were probably having so many domestic messes, they couldn't handle anything further. So that would probably also give Israel some time to regroup. When we see Israel again, they do have an army organized again. So these seven months gave time for these things to happen. So the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines for seven months, verse 2. And the Philistines, the leaders, they called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do to the ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewith we shall send it to his place. Now, the diviners, it's hard to know exactly what is meant by this. Some people who practiced divination back then, they would use the organs of ritually sacrificed animals to divine the will of the gods. They would kill an animal, offer it as an offering, and then read the organs. Some diviners, they would cast lots. And so whatever came out, that was what the will of the gods was. I don't know which one it was. but The point is, these guys were considered experts in their field, and therefore they were important counselors to the political leaders, especially when you had spiritual matters going on. So they are consulted here about what to do with the ark of the Lord. So the Philistine leaders, they have not decided to send it away. That's what they were recommended by the people of Ekron, that send it away to Israel again. They don't know what to do with it. Tell us wherewith we shall send it to his place. In other words, tell us in what way we can send him to whatever place he'll be happy in. Because it didn't make sense for them to go up to the closest Israeli army and say, uh, Hi, we're returning your God. He didn't like it in Philistia many philistines had died surely word would have gotten to israel about this and israel might perceive this as an act of weakness by the philistines but they also they didn't want to upset the lord again by doing it in a way that didn't make him happy and so they consult with these spiritual counselors about what to do and how to do it now again before we move on i think we need to stop for a minute because I do need to point out the sadness of this mindset, this decision-making processes. Because the truth is, they still don't repent. They don't acknowledge they're wrong. They don't acknowledge they've done anything wrong. They just want God to leave them alone. And in a sense, that's still trying to control the Lord. They're going to try to keep him pacified or happy enough to leave him alone, right? That's still trying to control the Lord. There are many people who go to church or go to a religious place today for the very same reason. I want to keep God happy enough to leave me alone. Can I encourage you not to practice that kind of Christianity? God cannot be appeased by religious or even respectful activities. Because here's the truth. Jesus already took care of God's wrath on the cross. There's nothing to appease in that sense. And he did that so we could come close to the Lord, not be left alone, to experience his love, not to think we don't need it. So this is a very sad decision on the part of these rulers. What do these spiritual experts advise? Verse three. And they said, listen, if you're going to send the Ark of the God of Israel, don't send it empty handed. You know, if you're going to send them back home, if that's what you're considering, back to the land of Israel, then don't send it empty handed. But in any wise, return him a trespass offering. Now, this shows that they understood a little bit about Israeli religion, even if they didn't fully understand it, because they knew that it, the trespass offering was something you did when you've really blown it. So you guys need to send some acknowledgement that you guys have really blown it, some type of sacrifice that confesses that. Then, if you do that, then you shall be healed, the plague will go away, and it shall be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. In other words, then you'll know why he's upset with you. The crazy thing about all this is the rulers thought they were innocent. They really didn't think they'd done anything wrong. Taking the other team's God and putting his stuff in your temple, that's what the winning side always does. That's just how the rules work. So that can't be it. Maybe we didn't carry him a certain way. Or maybe he likes people to sing to him. Or maybe we should have put flowers on his box. All of these things show that they were treating the Lord like they would in the Ark of the Covenant, in a sense, like they would any other idol, any other representation of a god. This refusal to recognize that the Lord is holy, that he isn't like An idol, that he's the living God. He's not some statue or a piece of wood. That he's the living God. And that his standard is the standard for all. That refusal is mankind's biggest problem. That's where the rubber meets the road for every single individual. I remember reading her name is escaping me right now. Her last name's Butterfield. Anyway, she is a wife of a Presbyterian pastor. I want to say on the East Coast, around like the Maryland, Virginia area. But she was quite famous before she became a Christian. She was the the dean of incoming students at Syracuse University, and she was a very uh, well-known LGBT spokesperson. She spoke at the Democratic National Convention, a lot of things, big name. But there was a small little church near the campus that kept reaching out to her, loved her, invited her to church, and as she started to go and started to learn the scriptures, she explains in her testimony where she shares her faith of how she got saved, she says, my problem wasn't my homosexuality, my sin, my sexual sin. She said, my problem was that I didn't want anyone telling me what to do. That I didn't want to acknowledge the fact that God had a way of doing things and I needed to get in line with it. That's where the rubber met the road for her. And that's where it is for all of us. It doesn't matter what the sin is. If we refuse to give it up, it's because we're saying, well, no, you don't have that kind of claim on my life. I'll do this for you, and I'll do this for you, and I'll do this for you, but I get to decide what I do. Not you. You're not God. I am. That is mankind's biggest problem. That's why the angels cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, over and over and over again, because it's the thing we just don't get. (laughs) There is no God beside him, and God isn't like us. He's unique from all of his creation. Therefore, we should be humble and look to him for answers of how life is supposed to work in all matters. The Philistines refuse to do that, but do you do that? Do you humble yourself before him? Do you look to him for answers on how life is supposed to work? Do you look to his word to find those answers? Well, this is their recommendation for a trespass offering. Verse 4, then said they, what shall be the trespass offering which we shall return to him? And so these spiritual advisors, they said, well, five golden emeralds. It's a bit morbid. They make little golden tumors. I don't want to know what they look like. And then five golden mice. The explanation for that will be given in the next verse. According to the number of all the lords of the Philistines, for one plague was on you all and on your lords. So the idea here is the same plague hit all the cities you took it to. This is on you guys. You guys have done something wrong. And so you need to give five, each of you give an offering of both a golden tumor statue, whatever that was, and a golden little Cinderella mice statue, whatever that was. That's your acknowledgement that you blew it, that the same thing happened to all of you because all of you blew it in some way. That's what you'll do. And how will you make them? Wherefore, you shall make images of your emeralds and images of your mice that mar the land. The word there, mar, means to ruin or corrupt the crops. Apparently, God had sent a plague of rodents of some kind, and they had wrecked the agriculture of the Philistines as well. And so that's why they needed to make the mice as well. And in doing this... You shall give glory unto the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and from off of your gods and from off of your land. Now, in this, the religious counselors nailed it. The Philistine lords had never acknowledged God's sovereignty, they had never given God glory. They treated him like he was just another idol. So, these gifts would be their way of acknowledging this sin. Now, based upon the religious counselors' reaction, the five rulers didn't like this idea. And you know, if you ever share with someone about their sin, it's funny. You know, you talk about the Lord, and some people be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I like Jesus. I like the idea of that." Some people obviously don't want anything to do with God. But so, "Oh yeah," but then the minute you start talking about sin, the wall comes up and they get hard. You don't have any right to be up in my business. You know, all the various answers that you may get. Because when you're confronted with the reality of your sin, this is the part we just want God to butt out. Leave me alone. Let me do what I want to do. I'll give you this. I'll give you that. I'll do this for you. But just let me live my life. And so, verse 6, the spiritual experts, they say, why then do you harden your hearts? They tell them, this is what you need to do. And apparently the Philistine lords are all looking at each other and go, I don't know. Because they say, why are you hardening your hearts? As the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their their hearts. When he had wrought wonderfully among them, did they not let the people go when they departed? Why are you hesitating? Why are you hardening your heart? The Lord's upset with you, but you keep acting like you're in control. That didn't work for Egypt, and it's not working for you. People are dying. And the Lord dealt wonderfully, the word that means harshly, with Egypt. Their only answer was to do what God said, to let the Israeli people go. Don't let your pride destroy our people. So verse 7, here's what they say. Now, therefore... Make a new cart and take two milchkine. Milchkine would be cows that have given birth and they were nursing. Not some old cow you've worked with in the fields that's half dead. No, you have two younger ones that have just given birth. They're nursing. Make a new cart and then take two milchkine, On the which has come no yoke. You've never worked them. And then tie the kind to the cart and take their calves away from them. Bring the calves home. Why? We'll get to that when we see verse 9. Verse 8, and then take the ark of the Lord, lay it upon the cart, and then put the jewels of gold, which he returned him for a trespass offering in a coffer by the side thereof, and send it away that it may go. In other words, no driver, just give it a good hyah, and then send it on its way. And see if it goes up by the way of his own coast to Beth Shemesh. In other words, if, if the ark goes towards his homeland, the Lord's homeland, Israel, because that's how they looked at things back then. Beth Shemesh was the closest city. It was about nine miles east of Ekron where the ark is right now, the closest Israeli city. It was also a Levitical city and therefore the best place to send the ark to because they would know what to do with it. So they said, if it goes up by the way of his own coast to Beth Shemesh, well, then he has done us this great evil. You'll know it's not just coincidence. But if not, then we'll know it was not his hand at us; It was chance that happened to us. So the spiritual experts can tell these guys are still hemming and hawing. They said, just do this. Put it on a cart, take two cows that their first priority would be to their calves, their baby calves. Take their calves away from them. And if these two cows that have never taken a cart anywhere before, never been worked before, never had this experience, and they head up to the Lord's homeland to Beth Shemesh, well, then you know it's the Lord and that he did this to us. And if it doesn't happen, well, then you just know it's coincidence. And well, I guess just people are going to die. Now, going that direction would be against these mommy cows' natural instinct, and therefore it would confirm God's hand in the situation. And yet, we still don't see repentant hearts. Well, if the cows don't go up there, well, then we know it's just chance, and so do whatever you want with the ark. It has nothing to do with what's happening. I love what David many made a comment on this. He said, after all, no one wants to repent unnecessarily. Verse 10. And the men did so. They finally decided to give in. And they took two milch kine, tied them to the cart, shut up their calves at home. And they laid the ark of the Lord upon the cart and the coffer with the mice. They put a big box that had their little statues of mice and the images of their emeralds. And the kine, they took the straight way, the just a straight path to the way of Beth, the road to Beth Shemesh. And they went along the highway lowing as they went, bellowing. The cows were not happy about leaving their calves behind. But it goes on to say, and they did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them under the border of Beth Shemesh. So they stayed on course all the way to this Israeli Levitical city. Again, these two cows had never pulled a cart before, either alone or together. They did it without a driver, And they traveled 10 miles straight to a city they'd never been to while leaving their calves behind. That is a miracle, an absolute miracle. And so the Philistines, they probably figured out this, the Lord's been judging us. So the rulers exceeded the priests' recommendations, their, their diviners' recommendations. Hopefully that would keep God happy enough to leave them alone. We don't hear the end of the story, It seems to imply that the plague went away, but again, that's not a happy ending because the Philistines are still without the Lord. So in their mind, maybe they thought it was good, but certainly not what the Lord wanted. Let's all stand. Oh, Lord, you are good and your mercy, your love, it endures forever. Your loyal love, your devotion towards us, it endures forever. Lord, you always love us, even when we're acting foolish. You're good. You remind us of your love and your goodness. We will trust in the Lord our God, not lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways we'll acknowledge you. You might make our path straight. We love you, Lord. Thanks for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen.